This is the Full English Breakfast Reunion Show and Year in Review, episode number 27 for those of you keeping score at home. With me here in the studio in Hamburg is international master Lawrence Trent. What up, peeps? How we doing? And on the phone from Manchester, Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. Stephen! Guys, it's lovely to hear you both. Happy to be back chatting to you. Well, to paraphrase Mark Twain, the rumors of the death of the FEB were greatly exaggerated. But it has been a long time. Just a sleeping bear, nothing more. We've all been busy. Believe it or not, it's been almost a year since our last show, and we wanted to look back on some highlights of the past year. Since it's been such a long time since I chatted with you both together, first, Stephen, give us a brief summary of what you've been up to in 2013. Well... I mean, I've been playing quite a lot of chess. It's not always been the plan, but every so often I get offered a nice deal to go to a nice place and play an open. So I've kind of reluctantly turned into a bit of a chess professional at the moment. But unfortunately, I'm not putting together any uh, Magnus Carlsen performances. It's been a struggle, but it's been a lot of fun at the same time. Well, we've had a lot of Magnus Carlsen performances to talk about. Uh, Lawrence and I actually have done quite a lot of work together. On my side, I produced live webcasts from Gibraltar, from Baden-Baden, Zurich, the London Candidates, the U.S. Championship in St. Louis, the Geneva Masters, and most recently the World Cup in Tromso. And uh, yeah, Lawrence was along for several of those. I've moved to Hamburg, started working with a, a new startup here that's building a soon-to-be-released chess platform. Yeah? And uh, what's that going to be called? Are you allowed to say anything? Well, it's, uh, no, it's still kind of uh, under wraps, kind of top secret. Now, come on. It's me and Steve. We're good friends. We won't tell anyone. We can keep a secret. All right. Well, okay. It's going to be called... Damn it! Did you just bleep that out? No, but let me have a quick word with our new Ukrainian producer, Kirill. Hey, Kirill. Yes? What, too soon? Sorry, but you'll just have to wait a little longer. It's a marketing thing. All right. I'm sorry, but... Mm. Well, we'll come back to it. Meanwhile, Lawrence, tell us what's new with you in 2013. I've had some major changes in my life because I quit my job in February to become a chess professional. So, in other words, I am at the moment involved in both the playing side. I'm still playing in a number of tournaments, looking for that elusive last norm. At the same time, I've been doing a lot of commentary work and hosting. Can I just say, guys, that I think probably this is representative of uh, all chess players, but you guys are doing a really awesome job with the coverage and the commentary the shows that you've been putting on in the last year well thanks man well this is after all a chess news show and 2013 has shaped up to be a huge year in the chess world and for chess news obviously one of the biggest uh, stories is the upcoming world championship match and uh, to get there, uh, Carlson had to win the candidates. 
which uh, Lawrence, you and I were both there. It was probably one of the more dramatic twists and turns in a tournament that I've ever seen and certainly in recent memory. So uh, given this is a look back, just remind us how the climax happened the last two rounds. Yeah, so essentially what was happening is Carlson and Kramnik were level with a round to go but Carlson had a superior tiebreak. In the last round, Carlson was white against Peter Svidler, and Kramnik was black against Vasily Ivanchuk. In other words, given the state of the tiebreak, Vladimir Kramnik felt he needed a win. A draw with black against Ivanchuk, and, well, you wouldn't bet on Carlson losing with white against Svidler. That just wasn't even a possibility for Kramnik. So instead of playing his normal stuff... He went all out against Ivanchuk. And Carlsen played a pretty cautious opening against Svidler, but got into a lot of time trouble. And suddenly, with the two games progressing at the same time, we saw Carlsen's position go from sort of equal balance to just dead lost after the time scramble. But by that time, Kramnik, who was fighting for a win, took a few chances himself and ended up after his time control, being in an untenable position as well. So, incredibly, the two leaders on the final day both lost their games. Just to finish, nobody would have expected. I think nobody in the world could actually bet that that would have happened. And Kramnik was ruining his decision in the end to play like he did, to play so aggressively and, and with so many risks. But I don't think he did choose the wrong strategy, because most of the time, Carlson with White against Fiddler or anybody, somebody like him just won't lose. But it just goes to show that Carlson is still not the absolute finished product. You know, there are certain players in history you would say if he needed a draw in that, in that game, he would have got it. The likes of Kasparov come to mind, actually, or even a Karpov. Karpov with White in the last round not needing to lose is just it's unfathomable. So the fact that there was so much drama on this last day, both games were going on, they were both losing, nobody knew what was going to go on. And in the end, I remember Magnus came into the press conference and for an interview with us, uh, exhausted, just shattered. Yeah, he said it, his only plan was to go back to his hotel and lie down for a bit. Yeah, but it slowly dawned on him that he's done it. He's won the candidates, and now he's going to play Vichy for the championship. And the coverage and the exposure this tournament got, it encapsulated the hearts of all chess players and chess fans worldwide because it was just the sort of action we don't often see nowadays. One of my biggest regrets from producing that show was the fact that after the last round... Magnus, of course, went to, to give a, a press conference to the, the journalists mm-hmm. while we were out in the more public area uh, providing commentary. And we didn't think we were going to get him at all. We thought yeah. that was going to be it. He was going to then get mobbed and have to do other interviews and take off. So we actually wrapped up the show. Right. About, I don't know, 5,000 people tuned out. And then suddenly we got him. So we came back on the air. It was, <laughs> it was a bit ridiculous. We, we had ended the tournament, came back on the air to do this interview. Of course, it was very laid back and very relaxed. Sure. And, and so uh, you know, it was kind of an, uh, a nice little bit for those who, who stuck around for a little Easter special Easter egg. Uh, and, uh, well, let's play. Uh, here's a, a piece of tape from uh, Lawrence's interview with Magnus. Forgive me, I'm not uh, one of these guys who's superstitious or anything like that, but clearly you've been in London a few times. You win every tournament here. 
Four out of five. Four out of five. Why don't you just live here, you know? <laughs> Plus, you could naturalise, and I'm sure Mickey and Nigel wouldn't mind you playing for England. I, I, I'm sure they wouldn't mind going down the board. Does that not make perfect sense? You seem to win every time you come here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here, so... Uh... Uh, it's nice to have uh, more than one place to go out and eat, for instance. That's nice. Uh, uh, what are you going to eat? Let's face it, you've won a bit of cash. You can probably treat yourself this tournament. What, what are you going to eat? Are you going to have a nice steak, bottle of champagne with it? Invite me? I'm not angling for an invitation here. No, uh, well, uh, I made it a tradition here. Um, Probably a, a bad tradition, but uh, Peter Hein and I would go and get burgers and a milk, milkshake after, uh, you know, before every every uh, free day and before the couple of first days I, I actually won, so it was to celebrate as well. Sounds like a good plan to me. Well, it was a very, very intense event for obvious reasons, and the relief you could just see it in in his face when when I was speaking to him and. Uh, uh, I think it's just wonderful for Chess that, that he won that tournament. And with commiserations of Lad, because a lot of people say, and perhaps with some justification, that he played the best chess in that event. So he got a bit unlucky. We can go into arguments about the, uh, the actual tie-break system, which a lot of people criticised, because how can you have a tie-break system like that for a candidate? Surely this should just be a playoff. But that's another story. But in any case, no, Vlad played very well. And, um, well, the big question was after the event whether we're actually going to see him again challenge for becoming world champion again. To me, it looks like he's motivated. For his generation, he's managed to make some adjustments to his game, which is allowing him to really compete with the, the younger generation and in every tournament. He's creating the opportunities to succeed. Like uh, like you're saying, Lawrence, um, many people felt he played the better chess. I'm not sure it's that he played the better chess, but almost certainly he was the player who created the most opportunities in his games to make a big score. So it was unfortunate that he that he just missed out. Um, but like you say, it's fantastic that Carlson gets a shot at this World Championship match. Uh, so, Stephen, can you just bring us up to speed on Magnus Carlsen's uh, big performances of 2013? Well, I mean, since this roller coaster finish at the candidates, he's, he's played in three events. Well, he's had four, actually. He had an exhibition match. But the big three events that he went to were the Supreme Masters, which was the first super tournament held in Norway. Then he was on to the Town Memorial. And then Sinkfield Cup. And that was uh, that was the last one, the last time he'll he'll touch a piece before the 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 world championship match in an over the board game. He's done well in all of them, and I noticed that since the candidates, he's actually been performing really well, but at the same time not been able to add anything to his rating, which goes to show what excellent form he must have been in in 2012 to get up to this colossal rating of 2870. He's only won one of the three events that he's entered. And, OK, for, for most players, that would be a pretty special achievement. But I think Carlson's standards now are simply if he enters something, he's expecting himself to win the tournament. To be fair, it took some pretty special performances from the players who managed to take the victory off him. 
Uh, it was Gelfand at Tal Memorial and Kayakin at the Supreme Masters, with Carson finishing a close second in both. But his most recent victory in the Sinkfield Cup, just typical Carlson, just battling away. Finished with plus three in a double round robin, which is an extremely difficult score to gain when it's such a such a tight field like that. Just showing his qualities as being the best player in the world at the moment. This final game with Aronian, he's only needing a draw to win the tournament. And he realises that he may have some chances in that game at some moment in the middle game. He's offered a draw. It's enough to seal victory and he still turns it down and he still keeps battling and manages to put away the number two in the world. So it's been an impressive year. I think he'll be happy with his overall form and the overall build-up to what's going to be a very exciting World Championship match. Now, I have a theory. I was also impressed by that last round game and I have a theory about this, which is that there was also a psychological factor that had nothing to do with the tournament itself or even the game, but just that he knew that this was the last over-the-board game he's going to play before the World Championship, that the World Championship might well hinge on you know, being able to convert small advantages in a few critical games. And he thought to himself, okay, well, you know, how do I want to, to finish my uh, 2013 before the World Championship? Do I want to just accept a draw even if it'll win me the tournament or do I want to go all out and play for a win and you know, really show what a fighter and what a grinder I can be against the world number two before I go and face the world number seven in the world championship? Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It, does, it sends a message to Anand that there's no prisoners being taken. He's simply looking to find the best move and his interest is in winning. And the fact that he has so much self-belief must really put some pressure on all opposition, and especially for this World Championship match. It's something that will prey on Alan's mind, I'm sure. I think having got to know Magnus reasonably well over the past year or so, I think one of his outstanding qualities is the fact that he really has got this self-belief. And it's not because he's arrogant or narcissistic. I think he just genuinely believes that this is his time, he's playing the best chess of his life and out of everybody, and that the natural result should be that he wins the match. And um, Rishi's going to have a tough job to stop him. Rishi is really struggling against Magnus at the moment. He's actually got a plus score against Magnus overall, but in the past year he's got wiped out by Magnus over the board. And I think the big difficulty for Vichy in this match and what's going to mark this match and make it different from most other World Championship matches in the past, you know, if we compare it to a Kaspar of Karpov of 1985 or whatever it may be, is that I don't think there's going to be a set opening... Uh, milieu. Milieu, exactly. There's not going to be this discussion of the Breyer variation in the Rye Lopez and finding improvements on move 20, or Kramnik Kasparov in 2000 with the Berlin and so on and so forth. I think he's just going to play different openings. That's going to make it so much more difficult for Anand to establish any rhythm, but also any confidence, because suddenly you have seconds preparing all night for this variation, and he just plays you know, something else the next day. And I think another key factor is the start of this match, actually. If Magnus gets off to a big start, you've seen how he is with momentum in these tournaments. Basically, he puts a couple of wins together 
that's it. It's already over for me. I think if Vichy can hold the balance, or even, who knows, get one up by the middle stage of the match, then I think his experience might tell. And suddenly, Magnus, who might need a win, or two wins, has to find a way to achieve that. So what's your bottom line? Your bottom line is a prediction? I have to sit on the fence to some extent, because I'm going to be there and, you know, as the official host. But if I had to give an answer, I would say the favourite is by far Carlson, and I, I think he's got a great shot at winning it. It's the same for me. But having said that, we didn't really know what Boris Gelfand may offer in the former World Championship match, and he came in with a totally new repertoire, shocked everyone, and showed that he was the better prepared player. And in some sense, it felt a little unfortunate that he didn't manage to win that match. So if Anand's well prepared, it's going to be tough for Carlson. Because let's not forget, Anand is an awesome match player with a lot of experience. The very interesting thing for me is that we've not witnessed the best player in the world in a match situation. He's on away ground in India. It makes for a very exciting... Uh, interesting prospect. So I would have to say Carlson's the favourite simply because consistently he's showing better chess performances. But at the same time, I think it's quite close to call. And oh, like you say, Lawrence, you know, the start of the match could have a, a big influence on, on the way things pan out. Well, Anand Gelfand, of course, went to a tiebreak, which surprised a lot of people. Uh, do you, you see that uh, happening this time around? Is it going to be decided in the regulation? I don't think it will be... Um, far away from a tiebreak score. I don't think either player is capable of completely running away with the match. And if it does go to tiebreak, then both players are strong and rapid. It's it's difficult to say. I would imagine that Carlson's going to win some games, and it's very dependent on whether you know Anand can make some blows also. And it's been very close in almost every World Championship match since Anand's won the title. So it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Of course, being there is going to be special. It's probably going to be the highlight of my own career, actually, if I'm honest. We are looking at potentially the next revolution in chess. I think if Carlsen wins, it's going to be fantastic for the game in general. Next time on The Full English Breakfast, we'll continue our look back at 2013 with Boris Gelfand's remarkable year and Tal Memorial win, and Vladimir Kramnik's surprising streak of the World Cup. We'll cover the Women's World Championship, Garry Kasparov's bid for FIDE president, and the infamous Boris Ivanov cheating scandal. And don't worry, we haven't forgotten about the raffle. The prize drawings will be back, and so will the FEB. <laughs>
and some of it, Steve, I can tell you firsthand that some of the stuff that's on that website, I'm telling you, people would pay thousands and thousands for. 